Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Welcome back to the Lottery Podcast. I am your host, John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. This week's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag and Blue Chew. Another week has gone by, um, and another week where we don't know if there's going to be a pre-draft process, what it may involve, when the draft is going to be, when the lottery is going to be. Um, it doesn't seem like we're going to know anytime soon. So, uh, I don't know, the past couple of weeks we've been talking a lot about teams and fits, and everything's hypothetical until we have an actual lottery and, and a draft order. Um, so I figured we'd switch it up a bit and talk more about individual prospects. And, you know, over the past, I guess over the past month, almost two months, it seems like, um, you know, the only thing you could really do is kind of review old tape. And that's what I've been doing. That's what NBA scouts are doing. I talked to some of my scout friends. and I'm like, what What can you do? You know, what have you been doing now that you can't travel um, and you're you're isolated? And they're doing the same thing as, as me and, and you. The, the playing field has leveled. Um, for for media scouts, um, for fan scouts, and for NBA scouts. That's all we could do is re-watch film or try and see guys that you didn't get to see as much of during the year. So that's what I've been doing. Um, you know, it's good. In some parts, it's good because you really do get to see things that you didn't get to see um, during the season. And in some parts, you know, you kind of start to, to force the issue on takes. You know, you never, you never like to, like, move guys around too much after the season has already played out. You know, that means you're overthinking things. If you're rewatching and then making new assessments based on what you watched, sometimes you're just like you just have an urge. It's like cool to make to make a move and, and to, to move guys up. You know, that's just a natural feeling. So you have to try and avoid that. But at the same time, you know, if you pick up on some things that you didn't get to pick up on early in the season, then you know that's just extra information that you could use for evaluations. But um, so I figured this week I'd go through some of the guys who I've gone back on and maybe my opinion has changed. Um, or, or some of the guys, again, like I, I didn't get to see as much, like Arkansas's Mason Jones. I mean, it's not that I didn't see him as much, but there were other guys I was paying more attention to, like his teammate Isaiah Joe, you know, things like that. So, um, all right, we'll start off with the guys who have caught my attention more or guys who have my quarantine risers, as I like to call them. And then I'm going to go over my, my new updated um, lottery big board, I guess, because I've made some slight changes, nothing major, but some slight changes uh, to my top. 12 or so. But let's start with Obi Toppin. I think he's an interesting um, an interesting prospect in this year's draft. And, you know, this draft we've talked about how there's not a lot of star power. I mean, Anthony Edwards is the guy who comes up when we talk about star power. Uh, Lamella Ball, of course. Um, you know, to some, James Wiseman is a potential star. But other than that, you know, we're kind of, we're really reaching. Um, and so Toppin is interesting because he has that star power. First of all, he was the best player in college basketball, uh, named player of the year. He's got the athleticism, the Amari lookalike, but he's also old for a sophomore. He's already 22 years old, and I tweeted this out a couple weeks ago, and I mean, it's, I only tweeted it out because I was doing research for an article, and this came to my attention. I I wasn't looking for a reason to bash Obi, 
but Obi turned 22 last month. This is the list of recent lottery picks, since 2007 at least, who turned 22 before the draft. Lottery picks who turned 22 before the draft. Cameron Johnson from last year, Chris Dunn, Buddy Heald, who's been fine, Torian Prince, Denzel Valentin, Frank Kaminsky, Doug McDermott, Kelly Olynyk, Jimmer, Wesley Johnson, Udo, Tabit, Hansborough, Rush, Joakim Noah was probably maybe the best one of all these guys, AC Law, Al Thornton, and then if you go back deeper, it's Sheldon Williams. I mean, it's the track record of 22-year-olds taking the lottery is miserable. That doesn't mean that you can't draft a good player at 22 years old, and there are always guys who slip through the cracks, Devontae Graham, Malcolm Brogdon, but guys, for whatever reason, older guy, 22 and up, taken early, you know, teams thinking they're going to be a star. They're usually not. Um, yeah, Obi Toppin's a little different. Um, he's built differently. I mean, he, he has the athletic ability that most of these guys don't have. I mean, of course, you're either looking at Amari, and then and then the other spectrum is like, well, is this Stromile Swift, who, if you go back deeper, you know, was one of the big draft busts um, of the past two decades, who was similar to Amari, where he had that, I mean, similar to Toppin in terms of impressive physical profiles and just dominant athletically at the college level. But how much, how far does that get you at the NBA level? Anyway, so I'm watching a lot of Obi Toppin, and... I'm at the point where I'm ready to say, okay, I'm going to ignore this this history, that tweet. I'm, it was just information. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to let it affect my judgment on what I'm seeing because Obi is. I mean, I'm buying the skill level offensively. And I think the question with him is always, okay, he's probably not going to be a plus defender. He didn't block a lot of shots. He only averaged seven and a half rebounds per game, and that's kind of a red flag stat, right? To be that big, explosive, and only average seven and a half rebounds per game. I mean, that's just, it's really hard to explain. And if you look deeper into the tape, you know, he really doesn't um, throw himself around a lot going for those boards. Um, but at the same time, what if he's averaging 24 a game in the NBA? I mean, how much does it matter how many rebounds he averages, whether he averages seven and a half or nine? You know, it's probably not that big of a deal. So I think I'm at the point, particularly in this draft, where I'm valuing Obi's offensive upside and, and offensive ceiling. Like he's going to be a productive NBA player, you know, like a John Collins type. Even if even if the the three ball doesn't translate, um, or the mid range jumper isn't a big part of his game, he's going to be a productive NBA player just based on his athleticism, um, his coordination around the basket. Um, I, he's he's really skilled around the basket. You know, he, it's not just a catch and finish guy. He ranked as one of the top post players in the country. I know post guys aren't as valued in today's league, but I think he's going to capitalize anytime he gets the ball within 12 or so feet, and he's got room to make a move. Uh, and plus just the easy baskets he's going to get by running the floor, by crashing the offensive glass, uh, by playing high above the rim. Um, and then and then you just look at the shooting. And yeah, I don't expect him to be a, a 40% three-point shooter. I don't expect him to be a 35% three-point shooter. But I think he's going to be a threat. I think he's going to be a guy who can make at least one three a game. Um, and, and just, again, you know, if I'm picturing his upside or picturing you know, what his stat line is going to look like in four years when he's 26. Um, I'm looking at a guy who I think is going to average 28 and over 50% shooting. And in that, in this draft, that might be worth a top five pick. So I, I put Obi, of course, he's got to find the right fit. I mean, I would love for him to go to Golden State. I mean, that would be really ideal. He may not, may take him longer to get to that 20 points per game. But, uh, man, if he could just play to his strengths on a good defensive team with shooters around him, 
I mean, that seems ideal for, for Obi. But uh, if he goes to a bad team, I think he'll get that production earlier. Um, either way, I think his floor is too high to, to really to drop him too far in this draft. Uh, yeah, the defense is a concern. But again, I think his offense is going to really carry his value at the next level. So I'm not jumping off the top in bandwagon. I'm not calling him a, a fluke um, in terms of his production at the college level. I think it's going to translate. Um, and I think, uh, again, he's he's worthy of somebody to consider within this year's top five. Another guy I'm moving up, I mean, he's played four years in college, so it's weird to move him up this late. And I almost feel like I'm doing something wrong. But Grant Riller from Charleston. Um, you know, to, to draft Twitter, to uh, the draft fan, he's not really a sleeper. Everybody, I mean, he averaged 22 points a game for the two consecutive seasons. Uh, but, of course, playing at Charleston, he's not super well-known. Um, and, uh, you know, he's not the greatest athlete in the world. He's not, he only averaged four assists per game. And that was his high uh, through four seasons, 4.1 assists. So there are questions about, you know, is he a true point guard? Does he have enough size to be a, a scorer at 6'3 without the the big-time bounce, but the more I watch Grant Riller, the more I'm sold that he's just just simple down. He's he's so good. Um, 97th percentile in pick and rolls. Uh, isolation, um, he graded in the 88th percentile. He's just really good at creating his own shot, creating space, and not just creating, but finishing. Um, good pull-up game. Uh, really, really good around the basket, 64% at the rim. That's without the explosiveness. He does a fantastic job of using his body and angles to finish below the rim uh, to create, again, quality angles and looks for himself around the basket. Um, he's uh, he, he's tough. He's savvy. Um, I, I just like everything about him. And, yeah, the four assists per game, you know, he's never going to be a high assist guy. And I don't want to compare him to Fred Van Vliet just because they have beards and look alike. But I think he's got that similar, he's a, a, a scoring point guard. You could probably play him, you know, the way Van Vliet plays the two sometimes next to Lowry. I think you could do something similar with Riller, uh, playing him at the one or two, just because of how good he is as a scorer. Same thing with, like, C.J. McCollum. I think that's the type of guard he projects as in the NBA. Um, so, uh, you know, he's always been more of a second-round guy to me just based on the fact that he really hasn't played many quality opponents. He hasn't played an NCAA tournament game over the past two seasons. So it's really tough to to judge how legitimate his production has been. But when I see how efficient he's been, I mean, he shot his true shooting percentage. has been over 60% for three consecutive years. For his four-year career, that's what it's that's what it's at, around 59 60% true shooting percentage. I mean, that's unbelievably efficient for a guy who's used as much as he is, for a guy with his particular shot selection. I mean, that's that's just too good. Um, his three-point numbers have always been around the same. He's never made a big jump, but they've always been in that 34 to 39% range. Um, average volume makes around one-and-a-half threes per game. Um, good free-throw shooter. You know, the eye test, I like his pull-up game. Uh, I Maybe I question how good his deep range is going to be just based on the looks of his shot. You know, kind of a line drive shot. It uh, doesn't get, generate a ton of leg power or arc on it. But uh, he's a shot maker. He can hit him contested. Um, but really, his value is creating shots and hitting tough ones. And, yeah, he'll give you enough playmaking. You know, he didn't, of course, at Charleston, he was needed to score. I think if he really needed to, he could have averaged six assists per game instead of four. But overall, I think his skill level is too high. 
Um, I actually think he's probably a better athlete than he's given credit for. And so, um, again, someone who I've always had as a second-round guy is like a value pick in the second round. I think the more I watch, the more I'm like, this guy should go in the first round, and not just the first round. Um, I think I'm moving him closer to to the 15 to 25 range, probably closer to 20, 25 range um, is where I have Riller. And, and then he's in that conversation with guys like Devon Dotson from Kansas um, and Trey Jones from Duke. I think he's got so much more scoring upside that makes him so much more attractive um, in today's league than, than those guys, even though he's a few years older. So yeah, Riller, I, I moved Riller up above, uh, uh, just a hair above Trey Jones and Devon Dotson, who may be higher floor guys. Like I love them as backup point guards, but there's something about Riller where it's like, okay, this could be the next you know, mid-major player who just blows up in the NBA. Actually, compared to Riller, I almost feel a little bit safer about Malachi Flynn from San Diego State, who I just, every month I seem to move him up a little bit more um, the more games I watch from him. Uh, from an analytical standpoint, if you're into it, led the country in win shares and BPM um, at San Diego State. Uh, yeah, I know, he's 6'1". He was 185, which actually isn't bad, but he's not really explosive. So, um, yeah, his tools and athleticism are not selling points, but his skill level is tremendous, and he's got the basketball IQ to go with it. I think he's a backup, worst-case scenario, or probably the most likely scenario, but like a winning backup. It's just somebody who makes the right plays, um, graded in the 96th percentile as a pick-and-roll Ball handler, great in the 81st percentile on pull-ups, hit 34 threes from beyond 25 feet NBA range. I love that about him, considering I do have questions about how well he'll finish in traffic, given that lack of burst. But yeah, he's got the range, he's got the pull-up game, um, a 30% assist percentage to a 10% turnover percentage. Really, really good decision maker. Um, so I think he's going to be a guy who can get guys involved, you know, running offense, but also take what the defense gives him and knock down the shots, even if he struggles to really create his own shot inside the arc um, and score in bunches um, or take over stretches of a game as a score. I think he can run the offense, push the right buttons, make the, make the right decisions, get guys involved, get them in their sweet spots. Uh, and then when he's open, I mean, he's pretty damn accurate. Also defensively, I know his body doesn't scream upside, but he averaged... Over one and a half seals per game. He's very pesky. He's got quick hands, defensive IQ. Uh, he just screams pro to me. I, you know, I don't know if he screams star, but he screams pro, and he screams winner. And so, if I'm a playoff team and I need some guard depth, you know, I'm I'm at the point where I'm considering Malachi Flynn somewhere, you know, with Riller in that in that you know 18 to to 26 range. Ironically, one guy I moved up, maybe more than anyone else. Um, is Baylor's Jared Butler. I say it was ironic because Baylor was like going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. There was no shortage of film on him. He played all the top teams. Um, but for whatever reason, I just he never really popped to me. Or I was really focused on somebody else in that game. Um, so I went through a lot of Jared Butler film over the past two weeks. And, uh, man, he is a really, really skilled guard. Um, of course, yeah, there are questions. He's 6'3". He's not really athletic, so can he be a scorer? Um, does he have enough point guard feel to run an offense? Only average three assists per game this year. But, um, I, you know, my eye test, I just see a guy who can really get through gaps, create his own shot. He's very shifty, nifty, off the dribble, um, skilled ball handler. Uh, just he continued to find a way to kind of shake free and just slip through little creases in the defense. 
Um, and then once in the defense, he's got a nice floater game. He's a good finisher after contact. He can make those tight window passes in crowds. And he shot 38% on two and a half threes made per game. He's got a good pull-up game. Um, you know, he's kind of a full package type of guard if you just kind of ignore the fact that he doesn't excel. He's not like a, he doesn't have any main specialty, but he's good in a lot of areas. Some of the stats I have on Butler, 91st percentile, added pick and rolls, uh, over a point uh, per possession on dribble jumpers, which mostly came behind the arc, um, graded in the 75th percentile on spot-ups, shows he could play some off the ball, which I really liked. Um, I mean, I think, you know, he played Kansas and West Virginia, the number two and number three team in the country defensively, respectively, and he really gave them both problems. I mean, two games against Kansas, he averaged 20 points, five boards, four and a half assists. He scored 21 points in both games against West Virginia. Remember Kansas, he was guarded by Devon Dotson, uh, Marcus Garrett, the, the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year for the country. Um, he had some really nice finishes over uh, Azubuki. Um, and, and that was a pretty big test for me. You know, those are those are some NBA caliber defenders he's looking at. Um, and he really gave them a lot of trouble. Uh, he, you know, I don't know what his label is in the NBA, but I just picture him there at some point, even if he spends next season in the G League. And we'll see. He may not even keep his name in the draft. Um, he's kept his eligibility open to return to Baylor. And he probably would have benefited from a draft talk standpoint if there was an NCAA tournament, assuming he played well, of course. Um, the spotlight would have, of course, been shined on the on Baylor, who would have been the number one seed. But anyway, uh, Butler is a guy who uh, I overlooked throughout the season. And I'm at the point where I'm, I don't know if I'm calling him a sure thing first rounder, but he's, I call him a fringe first rounder. I, one of those guys who, uh, you know, you may not reach for in the 20s, but you really target if he falls to you in the second round or 30s. And then, I mean, I'll bring him up. He's not somebody who's risen tremendously for me over the past couple of weeks, but Saban Lee from Vanderbilt, who's also testing the waters, as a guy I seem to have higher than uh, than other mainstream media. Um, I understand the questions with Lee, you know, his shooting and playmaking and, and size. You know, what what is he at the next level? Um, his bread and butter, his signature, is just exploding to the basket, getting downhill. kind of reminds me of Eric Bledsoe in that regard. He finished with 24 dunks this year. Only two other players, six three and under, finished with more. And uh, they list, you know, Saban Lee at, at six foot two. Um, so I just I think his value is breaking down defenses, getting to the rim, putting pressure on opponents um, at both ends. I think he's going to be a, a he can be a pesky defender as well. Um, and then he's shown the flashes of playmaking, the flashes of shooting. I mean, in, in uh, one of his final games, he went for 38 points against Alabama and six of seven threes. I mean, that shows. Even if the percentages throughout the year don't reflect it, to shoot six of seven from downtown in a game, a couple off screens, a couple pull-ups, I mean, that shows shot-making ability and shot-making potential. I think he can become an adequate shooter. And uh, he averaged four assists per game, and that was with Aaron Naismith out for most of the year. He was Naismith was maybe the best shooter in this year's draft, one of the best shooters in the country, uh, hit over four threes per game, and he left, and, and, and Lee still did a fine job of... of creating shots for teammates and getting guys involved. Um, so I, I think he's being somewhat undervalued in this draft just because people can't really give him a label. You know, he's he's like the tweener, right? He, he doesn't have the size or shooting for a two. He doesn't really have the natural playmaking instincts of a point guard. But, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking past the label, and I'm just seeing an NBA guy who can really get downhill, attack, explode, finish at the basket, and be good enough as a passer and shot maker.
I actually don't expect Lee to go in the first round, and and I'm not even positive he gets drafted, um, but I think he's a value pick if he does go uh, somewhere in that second round. The two other guys I moved up most, uh, I mentioned uh, last week with Spencer Perlman of the Stepien, so I won't talk too much about him, Desmond Bain from TCU and Tyler Bay from Colorado. I love Bay's uh, defensive versatility and and offensive efficiency and, and potential to improve his shooting. And Bain is just really a jack-of-all-trades, really skilled, good at everything, high IQ, is going to fit in anywhere he gets drafted. Um, and he may get drafted lower than he should just based on age, being a senior. But Bain is the type of guy who you could just project to fitting in from day one and sticking till year 10. So those are two other guys who I've moved up um, onto my first-round boards. Let's take a quick break. you got to shut out bet online because with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. You'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. It's funny, like 15, 16 years ago, how old am I, 33? When I was like, when I was in high school, we used to bet on NBA Live simulations. And now it's like a real thing. I always, my friends and I always joke that we like started the whole simulation betting thing. Now is a real thing during quarantine. Get involved. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then new partner shout out. Guys, looking to last longer and go for a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis. So you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once you're approved, the order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. So here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. You just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the updated big board here at the top. Starting at number one, this is going to be a shorter podcast just so we don't take all the, you know, we need to spread the content out from now until whenever the hell the, the draft is. But uh, yeah, I've made some changes to the top of my board. And honestly, it could it's going to continue to change and it will certainly change after the draft lottery because there's a lot of parity and I think team fit is going to play a big role. Like you should have, you should change the your draft board after the lottery. And then honestly, you should probably change your board after the draft. Because some guys have bet like Mobamba, like Mobamba wouldn't have been number six on my board overall if I'd known he was going to the Orlando Magic, playing behind Vucevic. So uh, anyway, so right now before the lottery, everything is kind of um, fluid. So Lamella Ball, who I've had number one since November, is still number one. It's a soft number one. Like if there be a certain team may get the first pick, and then suddenly Lamella Ball is number one anymore because I don't think he's a great fit for that team. Um, but for most teams, I would take Lamella Ball. I mean, the only I'd say the, if the Golden State Warriors get the first pick, I might move Anthony Edwards to the top because if I have any questions about Anthony Edwards, 
it's does he know how to impact winning? You know, there are questions about his maturity. Those questions suddenly disappear if he goes to a team with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steve Kerr. Like, I don't expect him to, like, develop those bad habits if Kerr is coaching him or if Draymond Green is on his ass. Uh, Talent-wise, I think he's the best in the draft. And not only does he have the 6'5", 225-pound body, the explosiveness, but he's really skilled, creating shots, making shots, passing. It's just can he, you know, uh, apply it to winning and do so efficiently. I mean, I think on a team like the Warriors, he'd be able to do that, or the chances would be much greater. So anyway, you know, teams aside, in a vacuum, I'm taking, if I'm starting a team from scratch, I'm taking LaMelo Ball number one. Um, and I wrote about this today, and it'll be published later in the week, comparing LaMelo's development to Lonzo's development at the same age. They're both extraordinary passers, which create high floors. But I think LaMelo has just a lot more scoring upside than Lonzo did. Um, yeah, he's not the same shooter at the same age, but I'm buying the shot-making uh, ability pull-ups from deep. He's got a far better floater and runner game, you know, in that mid-range area. Doesn't necessarily have to take a lot of mid-range shots, but I think he can capitalize more as a scorer once he's in the paint. And Lonzo's kind of struggled as a finisher in the paint. I think Lamelo's going to be a pretty good finisher once he gets there, particularly if his body continues to improve, his athleticism continues to improve. He's good with both hands. Um, he's very crafty. So anyway, I'm Lamelo Ball. I, I won't continue to repeat myself. He's been number one on my board for most of the season, and he will stay there until the draft order is decided. At number two and three and four or whatever, here's where I've really made some changes. Not big changes. It's kind of the same guys. And again, the draft order is going to play a big role. But I'm I'm at the point where I'm ready to take Onyeka Okongu from USC, number two in a vacuum. Of course, if he go if if the number two if if Lamelo goes number one. And, um, you know, a, a team with a center like Minnesota with Towns or Phoenix with Aiton, you know, if, if they get the second pick, of course, I wouldn't take Okongu. But in the vacuum, I'm at the point where I feel so good about Okongu. Um, and I know there are questions about the value of a big guy in today's league who doesn't shoot threes. Uh, but I, I think he's going to be a decent enough mid-range shooter. Um, I think he could be like Aiton, but, but better defensive upside. Skilled in the post. You know, a powerful finisher around the basket. He's going to add value defensively. Obviously, I mean, that's a, I think that's a pretty a given that he's going to eventually add value, not just with his rim protection, but his activity. I think he's going to be switchable. Um, but offensively, I think there's a lot more offensive skill level to his game than, than he's given credit for. He's good with the ball. Spin moves, um, Euro steps, facing up. He's got some mid-range touch, shot over 70% from the free throw line. Uh, some good passes out of the post. I think people are sleeping on him as a potential star type player. Uh, yeah, everyone knows, everyone feels good about him as a high floor guy, but I think that there's sneaky star potential tied to Okongu. Plays hard, um, overlooked, you know, behind Lamelo and, and the Ball Brothers, Chino Hills throughout his career. He's just somebody I want to bet on, um, and and so I'm at the point where I'm, I'm, he's you know approaching number two on my board, of course, depending on who gets that pick. But I feel as good about him as I do about Anthony Edwards. Um, who I have a lot of questions with. But, of course, Edwards is right there, number three. I know he's going to score a lot of points. Um, I've compared him to Zach Levine a hundred times, so I'm sorry if you're hearing this again. Obviously, there are questions with bodies. You know, he doesn't. He's much stronger than Levine. But in terms of his impact on games and shot selection, like that's why I, I picture Levine. I think he's going to average. And there's nothing. It's not really a criticism. I would take Levine top five in this draft, probably, if I knew I, that's what I was getting. I expect Edwards to 
score 20 points a game by his second year in the league. I expect by his fifth year, he's going to be a guy who gets you 24, 25, you know, three to four assists, decent field goal percentages, 35% from three, 45%. But can he impact winning with his particular game? That's my only question. Of course, if he goes to a team like Golden State, that question kind of just disappears. He gets to play to his strengths. His shot selection is going to naturally tighten. Um, but it's tough to really say that until we know where he's going. But anyway, of course, Edwards has to be in that second tier, right behind Ball, really all in that same general tier. I'm um, at number four. I have Killian Hayes, um, another guy who I, I just feel good about. I question his star potential a little bit. He's not very explosive. His shooting has not been great, though. It's gotten much better. 6'5", very good passer. I compare him to uh, to uh, Goran Dragic. Crafty lefty. Uh, there's a lot of comparisons to D'Angelo Russell with the left hand. Um, Russell, better shooter. I think Killing Hayes is a definitely better um, at getting guys involved. Uh, but he's teenager, um, very productive in Euro Cup, second leading assist guy in Euro Cup. Made a nice jump as a shooter, and we say it every time we talk about Killian Hayes, when we're talking about his jumper and, and shooting development, 87% from the free throw line in like back-to-back years, he's always been a really, really good free throw shooter, great mid-range touch, great finisher around the basket despite lacking explosiveness, it's just, you know, give him some time, and, and hopefully his three ball comes around, and if it does, he may be the most complete point guard in this draft. I'm I'm going with Obi Toppin right in that mix right behind them. I won't waste time on him since we talked about him earlier. Um, Cole Anthony from North Carolina, I'm not ready to drop him. I think if he falls to where, you know, say Cam Reddish did last year at number 10, I think he's a value pick. I think uh, I think if I was a GM, I'd kind of just look past this weird year at North Carolina where he played for one of the worst shooting teams in the league. He played alongside two bigs who clogged the lane. He got hurt midway through the year, so he missed a big chunk of the season, which disrupted his rhythm. Um, his team was never really any good, so he was never competing for much. It was just a weird year, and overall, a small sample size of games. We've been watching Cole Anthony for years. MVP of Nike Hoop Summit, MVP of McDonald's, MVP of Jordan Brand Classic, played with USA Basketball, participated in all the camps. Basketball genes, loves the game. I mean, uh, his the selling point, there's a lot more selling points to him than not. Um, and I do understand the why you, why you may not like him, you know, is can he make guys around him better? Is he a, a score-first um, point guard who takes bad shots? And um, does he know how to run an offense? And I think worst-case scenario is Colin Sexton, who's averaging 20 points a game in the second year. Um, and I, But I think he has far more passing potential and playmaking potential than Sexton. So uh, I don't know. I think he's pretty undervalued if he does slip in this draft. But midway through the lottery is kind of where I'm where I'm going to end up with Cole. It's kind of where he fell early in the season, and I just haven't really let him drop further than that. Denny Dia, number seven. Um, you know, another safe play, safe pick uh, anywhere in this draft, even if you take him at three overall. I don't think he's going to be an NBA star. I've compared him to Gallinari in the past as a guy who is like a fringe star. Like he's going to be a really good player, but not a great player. Somebody who's expendable, he'll probably end up on multiple teams, you know, after six years in the league or so. Um, good enough shooter, good enough passer, uh, good enough defender, but just not, you know, elite in any one particular area of the game. Number eight, I have, I have Halliburton. Halliburton to me is a, a guy who I think his fit is going to play a big role in terms of how his career goes and how he's valued. I really do. I like him better as a two guard. Um, 
than a, than a natural point guard. And he may end up going to a team first, you know, the way Lonzo did as the lead point guard. And I think they might find out that he's better off, you know, the way Lonzo was better off with Drew Holiday. I think they're going to find out, um, what's his name, uh, Halliburton is going to be better off with a guy like Trey Young next to him, someone who can break down defenses. Because Halliburton just really struggles to break down defenses. He struggles to beat guys off the dribble. Um, he doesn't really have any pull-up game. It's really the same evaluation that they had for Lonzo out of college. Um, and so anyway, he's a fantastic off-ball player. He's 6'5", 6'6", right in the 99th percentile in spot-up. So I don't have any questions about whether he can play the two. I don't expect him to ever be a high-level scorer, but he can spot up. He can make great decisions and reads from the two as a secondary playmaker. Um, I think he can defend both guard spots, excellent defensive instincts. But ideally, you have another guard next to him who can really put more pressure on defenses as a driver. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. I think if he goes to a team like Detroit, he's in trouble. But if he goes to, you know, like I said, the Hawks, to me, I think that's like the perfect fit for him. Um, Devin Vassell at number nine. I think this is kind of where I'm leaning, moving him up a little closer um, in the late lottery. But just, again, just feeling safe about Vassell, feeling safe about... Um, a guy who shot over 40% from downtown in back-to-back years, a six 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 seven, and an elite defender. Uh, those are just two areas of the game where I feel confident they're going to translate, his, his 3 and D. Can he add anything more to it? He made a nice jump this year at Florida State with this pull-up game. Um, I'm not sure he's ever going to be a high-level scorer, but, you know, at baseline, he's like another Robert Covington type. And uh, for the right team um, that can really optimize his particular skill set, I think he's going to end up being a very valuable player. Of, of course, if he goes to, like, you know, team like the Knicks. Actually, the Knicks could probably use him. That was a bad example. Again, like a team like Detroit, who doesn't really have any creators, um, I think then he could struggle. But there's just a lot of value with those 3 and D guys, and I think there is a level he can get to that's higher than what he is as a scorer after the improvements he's made to his pull-up game. Um, at 10, James Wiseman. He's been 10 for a long time. Um, you know, I expect the easy buckets. I expect the shot blocking. Um, I probably have been too harsh on him in terms of his skill level. He can make mid-range jumpers. He can create a little bit out of the post. Uh, but I don't think he's the defensive impact guy that Okongu is. I don't see him switching around the perimeter. Um, I think Okongu's touch is a little bit better, and I think Okongu is a little bit sharper and more polished with the ball inside 15 feet. But uh, I think in the late lottery range, there's nothing wrong with taking... Wiseman, I've compared him to Hassan Whiteside in terms of his style of play, what type of player he's going to be. I don't, again, I don't think he's going to be the same level rim protector, but that's the type of guy, more of a rim runner, a dunker, catch and finish guy, putbacks, rejections, rebounds, double doubles, high percentage, but not somebody you're going to run your offense through, particularly in today's league. 11, RJ Hampton, he's been in that same range for me. Um, another one who I feel good about high floor, I just don't picture his ceiling being overly high. I'm not sure what he's great at. He can play make, but he's not really a point guard. He can make outside shots, but he's not a shooter. I'm not sure where he is yet in terms of creating his own shot against a set defense. He's a mixed bag defensively, but he's young. Everyone talks about how great his character is. Um, I I picture him as a solid NBA role player, somewhere taken um, in that late lottery range. I've moved Tyrese Maxey down a couple spots. Um, the more I've watched Maxi, the more I question his playmaking ability. I think he makes some. He's had some tough reads uh, as a pick and roll passer, and this, the shooting numbers were so bad um, as a spot up guy and a pull up guy that um, I'm. They're better. He's a better shooter than he's given credit for. But I don't know if I'm ready to completely just ignore the shooting numbers. 
Um, and so I think if he goes to a good team, he's in better, you know, like the same thing with most of these prospects. If he goes to a good team, that's going to be much better for his development. Um, if he goes to a bad team, he might end up having to take a lot more tougher shots. He's going to be a little bit more inefficient. But same thing, late lottery range um, for the right team is fine with me for Maxi. Um, Okoro, same thing. I've, I've kind of, I got really excited with Okoro early. Um, I actually put him in my top three at one point, but he's just a little too far behind offensively. Um, and maybe I overrate his defense, but he reminds me of Anunobi as a worst-case scenario. Somebody who's going to defend your top perimeter score. He can bang with big guys down low. He can, I think, move his feet just fine to guard twos and threes around the perimeter. A very efficient offensive player. He doesn't take any bad shots. A very good decision-maker, I think, as a passer and an underrated playmaker. Um, he's just a little too far away as a shot creator and a shooter for me to put him top five at this point. Um and then 14, 15 area, um, you know, I have Jalen. I moved up Jalen Smith from Maryland. Um, I, I'm I'm buying his shooting projections uh, or, or his shooting improvement from this year. I think he's the three ball is going to be part of his game. Um, throwing the shot blocking and, and the NBA values rim protectors who can stretch the floor. He plays hard. I hear a lot of great things about him in terms of his character and work ethic. Uh, just a big, I feel safe about um, as a three and D big Jalen Smith mid first round for me. And, uh, and Kyra Lewis, um, also fringe lottery for me. When we talked about Kyra Lewis a lot last week with Spencer, just a breakdown point guard, um, just averaged 18, five and five, um, as a 18 year old at, at Alabama. Um, and, uh, you know, he's good in every area. He doesn't have the most impressive physical profile. I don't know how great of a finisher he's going to be, but he's good enough with, with his craft around the basket, his footwork off the dribble, um, again, and then and then his value is getting inside defenses and making things happen, and then given his age, we'll see how much he could add to his jumper, how much he could add to his passing IQ, but um, an, an interesting point guard to think about in the mid-first round. So that'll do it for this week. I, I don't really know what we're going to talk about next week. We'll see what developments take place um, within, of course, this whole COVID-19 situation. If there's any more clarification on what the draft process will entail, I know the early entry list was put out. There are a lot of names. Um, teams are allowed right now to start interviewing prospects through Zoom and the internet. Um, there's no in-person workouts or interviews uh, just yet, but we'll see what happens. Adam Silver has been very positive and really trying to make something happen here, but it's all about patience. Um, and they're kind of just waiting for this to play out. So we will do the same. Thanks for listening, and we will be back next week.